Welcome to the Touring Plans Podcast. Welcome to the Touring Plans Podcast. I'm Angela Dahlgren, here with my co-host, Brian McNichol. Hello. And we have Jen LaForge on the podcast today. Jen is one of my Disney friends. I love her so much. She's seriously one of the kindest people I have ever met. Oh, I just, I just adore her. Jen, welcome to the show. You are so sweet, Angela. I feel like we have been friends for decades instead of just a few months. So thank you for that. I'm so happy to be here. I don't know why I'm so excited for this topic, but I really am. But first, okay, first things first, if you have not listened to our show with Adam from The Mouse and More, please do so before you listen to this or catch up on that afterwards. But um, let's get down to business. Okay, that was a Mulan reference. Anyway, uh, today we are talking about Jen's experience on her last, that was your last Disney trip, right? Yeah, it sure was. Uh-huh. Yes, she was in Disneyland and Jen is a Disney Vacation Club member at, at Walt Disney World, and she is a Walt Disney World annual pass holder. And on this last trip, she became a Disneyland annual pass porter. Is that what they call them? Uh, I think so, yeah. And when I saw that this happened, I was just so curious about it. So we're kind of going to talk about her process and her experience. And before we do that, Jen, please tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a mom and a wife, and after a 25-year career working in several different fields, I took like a grown-up gap year where I was just going to kind of find myself and figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. And as a Disney fan and lover, since I was a very, very young child growing up in Southern California, I knew that Disney would be part of that. So I started kind of filming about my experiences, both on the gap year, traveling, um, this kind of odd stage of life, being an empty nester and all of that, and started a YouTube channel more as like a creative outlet than anything else. And now that is actually what I do for my job, which is completely insane to me. Uh, But I love it. And I get to travel all over. And mostly my mission is kind of to motivate people to live their best lives. And a lot of us are stuck in situations that we don't love and that there's other choices you can make out there. So fully supported by my wonderful husband and uh, my kids who are all getting ready to go back to college. And I'm so sad. I think it's harder letting them go back after freshman year than it was when they left last year. And all of a sudden, I'm super sad about that. So anyway, I'm just loving talking about Disney, um, love Disney Vacation Club. I just started a second channel called Joyful Living with Jen LaForge, where we're talking more fitness and health. Run Disney has been a big part of my Disney story. So I love talking about Gosh, everything from running to home home uh, organization to all not we will never talk about cooking because I can't cook my way out of a paper bag. My children <laughs> nearly starved when they were growing up. But we'll talk about everything else over there. And it's just been a lot of fun. Oh, and speaking of her second channel, her organizational tips are I, I started following that on her Instagram, but I find them so helpful. She has like a one box Wednesday where where you kind of do like almost one organizational project or one kind of decluttering thing a week, right? Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I worked for a big storage and organizational store for a long time and people always came in totally overwhelmed. And so really the whole concept of it is just spend like 15 minutes a week, get a box, fill it with stuff you don't want or need. And if you do that 52 weeks in a row, guess what? That's 52 boxes full of stuff. And usually you don't 
stop at a box, right? You get excited because you see progress. So it just sort of motivates you to do more and more. So yeah, that's a big passion of mine. Yeah, head over to that channel and her Instagram because I am an organizer, but I'm always looking for new tips and I have learned so many from Jen. Oh, um, thank you. I really have. I just like eat it all up. But okay, I digress. We're here to talk about annual passes and let's get into that. So there are so many annual passes when it comes to especially Walt Disney World. You know, they have the Disney Platinum Pass, Disney Platinum Pass Plus, the water parks, they have different passes for Floridians, you know, the locals. And then, you know, they have rates for Disney Vacation Club members. There are not quite as many at Disneyland, Disney Signature, Signature Plus, Deluxe, Flex, and then a Southern California Select. There's really so many to choose from. If you want us to do an episode, you know, delving into more of that, we can. (laughs) But I just wanted to kind of give you a brief overview of what they are before we kind of jump in. So, uh, Jen, you touched on it a little bit, but what is your Disney park history? You know, which park did you grow up going to the most? So I was born in Southern California. You always have to be careful when someone starts a story with I was born in, because that means settle in. We're going to be here for a while. So I'll try to make it as concise and precise. You got um, five minutes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so Born in Southern California, my parents were big Disney fans. My parents actually, and this is such a cool story, I'll share this really quick. Um, in the 1950s, they got married in 1960, I believe. Yeah, that was when they got married. And in the 1950s, they used to go to Disneyland dance nights where I think it was like a $2 entry charge and they would jitterbug. And my mom was like one of the original Dapper Days people before Dapper Days was a thing, right? She was out there in the crinolines and all of that. And my parents had a huge love for Disney. We only lived about 15 minutes away in Huntington Beach. So we went every year when I was growing up and I was obsessed. I would pour over every Disney piece of anything. I actually have some letters that I wrote to Disney when I was in elementary school. And back then they would actually write back on official Disneyland stationery, and it was very exciting. So as we moved different places, we started going to Disney World. My first trip there was in 1979, um, went to Epcot, uh, w- one of the first years that it was open, and then just kind of passed that love of all things Disney and Disney parks onto my kiddos. And we started taking them. They've been to Disneyland, but because we lived in Texas, we started going to Disney World, became Disney Vacation Club members. And it's always just been this place that I've escaped to, right? Like when I was very young, I would sit on the floor of my room with all of my Disney. Now, you're both too young to remember these, but these um, books where they would ding and you would turn the page and there was a record that went along with it. And I had them for all of the Disney movies and I bought them all at the Main Street Music Shop in Disneyland. I also had those. I am older than Yay. Angela. Um, I, had, I had the cassette tape version. Yes, I, uh, I believe I had both the record and cassette. I was probably bridging those two. But yes, oh yes, I used to love those those little books. Thank you, Brian. That makes me feel not quite as old. And I was just at the music shop on Main Street, and it's still there, but sadly they don't carry those anymore. But yeah, it's just like a lot of us, right? My parents loved it. They passed it on to me. I've passed it on to my boys. And we like to say that Disney is our lake house. It's that place we go year after year where we have so many great memories as a family, and it's just kind of part of the fiber of who we are. Oh, that really warms, like, that just warms me up, and, like, fills my cup hearing that. I love that. Oh. Um, 
Ryan, I, I've kind of dominated this conversation. Do you have any questions for Jen? No, I am going to completely let you dominate this conversation. <laughs> so as always, I will just chime in with things as I think of them. But uh, I like hearing Jen's story. So I'm going to let you keep going. Okay, great. Uh, so it seems like you really had a well-rounded Disney Park education growing up and throughout your kid's childhood, which I just love. And what year did you become Disney Vacation Club members? 2012. Okay. So not recently, but I guess semi-recently when you think about it. What, seven years ago? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I, I thought, wow, that's not long ago. And then I'm like, wait, I had to do math. I'm like, oh, that's seven years now. Nuts. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, we would have done it way earlier, but we just, it, it's a big financial commitment. And Angela, I know you and I have talked about DVC a lot. It's not something to be entered into lightly. It's no joke, right? Like that's a lot of money. And we do regret that we couldn't afford to do it earlier, but it's just when you have three kids in three years, it's expensive. And we took so many Disney trips. We're now looking back. I'm like, darn it. If we, you know, joined DVC way back then, but it just wasn't an option for us until 2012. And I'm just a researcher at heart. So I researched it for a solid three years before we finally pulled the trigger. So Angela, whenever you ask me like in-depth questions, it's one of the reasons I do so many DVC videos on my channel because that was me. Like I wanted to suck up every bit of information and it can be hard to find really solid information that's not coming from a marketing company, but it's just coming from a person who happens to be a member. So right. anyway, wish we'd done it earlier, but glad we did it when we did. It um, is. It's one of the reasons we we don't tackle DVC a lot is because neither of us are owners and actually very few people that work for touring plans are. And if you're not, it is really, really hard to figure out the ins and outs of it. And uh, I just haven't actually spent the time to to read all that all that stuff yet. Well, Brian, you just reach out to me, or better yet, watch Absolutely. my YouTube channel. Oh. Actually, Jen, I was just gonna I was just gonna plug you there. It's not just because Jen is my friend; like she is such a great resource because she's someone. Like you said, Jen, you've done the work, you've done the research, and she has her videos are great resources to look into because she kind of goes through the process, goes through the pros and cons, even talks about DVC rentals. And we do have uh, someone that we work with through, I, I guess we have a preferred rental company, so I can give you more information about that as well for those listening. But yeah, it's a big commitment, and it's something that my family has toyed around with for probably four or five years now, and we still can't make a decision. So that really tells you, and like, I'm a Disney lover, so that tells you how hard of a decision it is. It, it really is. So I understand why it took you so long. Yeah. So my next question is, when did you become an annual pass holder, and was it for a Walt Disney World? Yes. So 2012, when we first joined, they were offering our very first trip as members. I had bought us all uh, seven-day park hoppers. And at the time, Disney discounts are always subject to change. And over the years, uh, we have seen fluctuations, I want to say out the wazoo. Can you say that on the podcast? Sure. <laughs> Why not? I think that's safe to say. You just never know what you're going to get. So this particular trip, the discount they were offering for DVC members basically meant that for all five of us, we had already paid for an annual pass. And so uh, it was kind of a no-brainer. And we went into member services and they converted our seven-day park hoppers. I think we paid a whopping like $35 additional for each person. Gosh. 
And at the time, uh, we were only going annually. Of course, that has changed significantly, at least for the mother of the family. But we just would plan our trips to where, and I know a lot of people do this with an annual pass, right, where we would get uh, two trips in one 12-month period. So it was really one trip a year, but we would maybe do one for in uh, January, and then we would do the next one in November and get both trips under the same annual pass. So when you added the discounts and everything else, it just it didn't make any sense not to do it. And so that was back when we first bought DVC. So in 2012. Okay. What about you, Brian? When did you first become an annual pass holder? I think when I started working for touring plans, probably (laughs) I'd never gone more than once every 10 years or so before that. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't really a point. And for the most part, and I haven't, I haven't redone the math for this exactly, but in general, if you a lot of times, even if you go twice within a calendar year, if you're not a Florida resident at least, it ends up being worth it to get the annual pass because even if you're only going, if you're buying like two separate, like four day tickets, it's not that far away from an annual pass at that point. And if you're buying like two to separate five day tickets, then I think you're over already. At least that's how it was last time I, I checked. Well, and Brian, even with the increase, right, once you add the memory maker in there, which mm-hmm. I think the memory maker is selling for like $159 now. Yeah. So if you factor in that plus the 20% merch discount, I kind of feel like yeah, there's a lot that, of people that it makes sense for. Yeah, yeah. And, and you do, you get some extra stuff with it. It includes, if especially if you're you generally stay off-site, it includes parking at the theme parks. Uh, which yep. can definitely add up. So if you're planning on going twice in a calendar year, it's almost definitely going to be worth it to, yep. to do it. And if you're going for a very long time, because, I mean, Disney only sells up to 10-day tickets anyway. So mm-hmm. if you're going for more than that, then you're going to have to get an annual pass. Now, working for touring plans, I tend to go two or three times a year. So obviously I have one, but I, I do let it lapse all the time. In fact, I haven't actually had an active one now since... Oh, December, I think maybe. So, yeah. and I won't get another one until I go in October. So, oh, are um, you going in October? I am. Yeah, right in the beginning of October, right after the Skyliner officially opens and uh, Epcot Forever starts, is, oh, uh, is when I'm going to go and, and shoot some more videos. So, why oh, you're going in December for some reason? Though. I was going to, but I decided not to wait that long. So. So, and then I'll actually be there. I don't think my kids can hear me in here. Um, I'll actually be there at the end of January also on a family trip. So, but they, that is a Christmas present that they do not know about yet. So I'll be, Aww. I'll be there with my family at the end of January too. Oh no, never mind. We're not going on. Do I finally get to meet my work husband? I've, I haven't met a podcast host, uh, a co-host yet, and I'm not going to start now. I still haven't, have not met Derek Bergen, so. Um, Brian's like, she just called me her work husband. I'm never going to meet her. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, moving on. Um, Okay, so let's talk about your trip. I was following along on your social media and it looked like so much fun. So why were you in Disneyland? Yeah, so I attended VidCon for the first time ever. It's the first kind of YouTube creator conference I had ever attended. We could talk about that the whole podcast, so I won't get into that. It was It was trippy. So they put all the creators on one floor of this huge, the Anaheim Convention Center. So that piece of it was right up my alley. I met a lot of great creators. I got a lot of good 
kind of business type advice and that sort of thing, exciting things like taxes. But the whole like conference itself, I don't know if any of you have seen pictures of VidCon or if you know anything about VidCon, but. Yeah, I've actually looked in because I I looked into uh, at one point whether it would be worth trying to go. Um, So I am actually curious what you what you got out of it. Yeah, I'm um, what they call a people oriented introvert, Brian, like anyone who's met me can't believe that I'm an introvert. But the reality is crowds and networking really wear me out. We sound very Um, similar on that front. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That gives me a high. I love it. No, I, I can do people for a certain extended of time and then I need to be in a dark room quietly rocking back and forth, um, <laughs> with no noise or, or stimulation of any kind. You're like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. So a, an exhibit hall is basically my worst experience ever, which is crazy because I go to Disney all the time, right? right. Like someone like that for some reason. And, and Brian, I don't know if you feel this way at Disney, it doesn't bother me, but anywhere else I'm out. Like I don't do concerts or any of that. So basically the networking part of it was okay for me. I wish I had maybe leveraged that a little bit more, but I really did go to learn. The breakouts were super helpful Although, Brian, I would say 90% of what I learned, if I'd known what I was looking for, I could have watched YouTube videos about. Yeah. Um, so that that from that part of it, I'm not sure I would go again. The other thing, and then I'll stop talking about VidCon, but it, it was very much a disconnect for me between the huge creators, right? People who have like a million plus followers mm-hmm. and the teeny, teeny, tiny creators, a lot of which have never even put up one video. And there wasn't a lot for those of us that are kind of in the middle, and it definitely felt lacking. So yeah. I'm wondering if I went to the wrong conference. Like, is there another one that might be, I've heard people talk about playlists and things like that, yeah. or is it just that conferences and I don't get on? Because I, I didn't really love them in my other jobs either. Uh, but, Angela, to answer your question... It was right next door to Disneyland, so mm-hmm. that is how my Disneyland trip yeah, ended up. Yeah, you can <laughs> you can see the Incredicoaster flying around from sta- right. right in front of the convention Brian, center. Brian, yeah. you could see the Incredicoaster from my hotel room. Oh, very nice. I could stand in my room and literally watch people on the Incredicoaster. It was uh, amazing. That but is that really is cool. interesting to point out because I mean we are considered a mid-sized channel as well, mm-hmm. and oh. if that's something we were thinking about, you know, how would that be very helpful? I will say that my aunt is I think this week actually or maybe in the next couple of weeks going to a podcast pr- conference in Orlando. So she's going to try to make uh, a couple of days at Disney. So, I mean, we we both have podcasts, so that might be something worth exploring down the line. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I think we would need the same kind of things you would, Jen, in that we what we want is ways to kind of get over the, the hump and, and grow further a little faster maybe than we are now but yeah i could Mm -hmm. see that i've in fact actually on saturday i was at a minecraft convention from with my kids because that's what they wanted to do and (laughs) And uh good dad that's the way it works and And we um you know and they they focus a lot on there on on youtubers and there are a few a few decently sized YouTubers there and all this stuff that they, they wanted to meet. But this, it's the same thing there. It's a lot of like, oh, this is how to start your own YouTube channel. And it's like, well, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm, you right. know, so, so yeah, I can see how that, that would be. Well, well, I'm, you know, sorry you didn't get much out of it. I'm kind of glad I didn't 
start talking to uh, our boss about going. So yeah, and I don't have any um, regrets about going. You know, I felt like it's so big and over the top. It was probably really good for me, just from an experience standpoint, to do it mm-hmm. once. Right. But I'm just far more of a smaller connection type person, and uh, yeah, I don't. I don't need to go again. So, <laughs> but you're glad you did. I am so glad I did because I would not have been able to justify my four day park hopper and my hotel room at Disneyland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> If I did not have the conference to go to, especially because this was a solo trip for me until mm-hmm. the very last day my son joined me. And uh, it's just far, right? It's the flight to Orange County from Atlanta is not a short one. And I don't think I ever would have. It would have been a lot more years before I made it back to California. And I'm so glad I went back to Disneyland. You were in Disneyland for VidCon. You obviously have to make a trip to the parks for a few days. What inspired you to buy this annual passport? Well, believe it or not, Disney marketing is very good at what they do. And when you are logged in to the Disneyland app, right, which is how you do your, um, I had Max Pass added on to my four day park hopper. So the first thing to note is that my four day park hopper with Max Pass at peak season, which is when I went was $385. Okay. So I had already paid that much for my ticket. And this thing popped up on my phone and it said, would you like to upgrade to the Flex Passport for $241? And I'm thinking, that's not even another, you know, two-day park hopper. I don't even know if it's another one-day park hopper. It probably is. But I was thinking I could easily come back here at least one more time. I bought the Flex Passport and, you know, that's fairly new. I think they only started offering that this last year. and. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even really sure how it worked, but I did briefly check the blackout dates and it didn't look like I wanted to go during any of the blackout dates anyway. So check. And then I looked at uh, what they have. It's really interesting. And I just used it for the first time. They have a reservation system. So the, the days in gray are blocked out. The days in green, you're good to go. And then the blue days, you have to make a reservation and you can only have two reservations in a 30 day period. But it's a rolling 30-day period. So my next trip, um, and I'll get into later when that is, but I already have had to make reservations. And I got in a panic because I was like, oh, wait a minute. I can only make two reservations, but I want to go for four days for this next trip. So I called Disney, and they were like, no, no, no. As soon as you enter the park on the first day, go ahead and make your reservation for day three. And then when you enter on day four, make your reservation or on day two, make your reservation for day four. And I know that sounds like so complicated. And I'm going to tell you the pass is a little complicated. Like this is the most complicated annual passport I have ever owned in my life. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. And then I have to do what? And then I have to do what? And you could add. I, I know I'm going on and on, but this is. Y'all, this is really how this pass works. I'm not making this overly complicated. You can add the Max Pass, which I love, by the way. I'm completely in love mm-hmm. with Max Pass for $100 for the entire annual pass, or you can do it on an as needed basis for $15 per day. So if you think you're going to go, like, you know, some trips I may go and not really be into riding Hyperspace Mountain. Maybe I just want to do pictures or I just want to, you know, eat at nice places. Or maybe it's just not all that crowded and I can still use traditional fast pass the normal way. Mm-hmm. Maybe I won't spend that $15, but if I'm going during a busier time, I can add that at any point while I'm there during the day for just the day that I'm there. Did that 
make any sense at all. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, you would just pay what Max Pass normally is per day. Correct, exactly. So if, if you were someone who was going to go multiple, like if you lived in Southern California and you were going to go all the time and you always wanted to have Max Pass, then obviously it would make sense to add it on at $100. But at $15 a day, I wasn't 100% sure I would use it enough to cross that threshold. So I opted out of that part of it, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to add it on a la carte when I need it. And I will just quick go over what you get for having Disney Flex Passport. It's admission to one or both parks during select days of the year, so that does mean there are blockout dates. Up to 10% off select dining, up to 10% off select merchandise in the store or online at Shop Disney, and then reservation required dates, which Jen kind of talked about. Um, and then with that rolling 30 days, which is, does that mean like you go in the first day and then can book for the third day? Is that what you were talking about? Yes, exactly. So when I first saw it, I panicked because I thought it meant I could literally only make two reservations in a month. Does that make sense? But then yeah. I, then yeah. he explained it. Now I'm You can only hold two reservations at any one time within a month. Exactly. So, right. yeah. so I'm taking a risk, right, Brian? Because when I go... If yeah. for some reason all the reservations are full for days three and four of my trip, mm-hmm. my only option is going to be to buy, you know, a ticket to get into the park. I don't think that's going to happen. And, and the Disneyland rep did not think that was going to happen because I'm going before the blockout dates are ending for the Southern California residents. Mm-hmm. But I'm a little nervous about that. So I'm just such a planner. By the way, I've been with touring plans since uh, I think. What did we decide since I was 37, right, Angela? And now I'm 49. That's longer than I've been with touring plans. (laughs) Yes, thank you very much. I I have loved touring plans forever, and I don't know why I said that other than to plug touring plans. But um, Thank you. We like plugs. (laughs) But the days that I was, you know, of course I've got it in my touring plans app, and the days that I'm going to go, you guys are telling me it's not going to be that bad. Yeah. So um, really hoping that that's true. Don't think I'm going to have a problem, but it, you know, it is, it does well, make me a little insecure. Now, if I were going during a green time, it's not even an issue. It just works yeah. like another annual pass. Well, and I'm looking at the calendar now for it and the, the blackout dates for those that are curious. Um, the only ones currently in the next year are December 21st through January 4th, which is to be expected. And that's it. That's for it for blackout dates. Now, mm-hmm. basically with the exception of June of, of, this month of August and then June of July of next year, pretty much the rest of the time, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are, are green. So you can just go in and a lot of Fridays, especially in January and February are also green. So most months you won't actually need more than two depending on when you're going. If you're getting there on a Friday and leaving on a Tuesday, in most cases, only the Saturday and Sunday would be blue anyway. So uh, right. it doesn't look that big a deal. And actually, on the key, they have a, a signifier when the, the reservations are unavailable. I assume that means when they're gone. And yeah. they don't list, like, even today no. as gone. So I don't think, I don't think you're going to have much of a problem. It doesn't seem like... This is quite caught on yet, probably because it has taken us 10 minutes to figure out how it works. So, and, well, <laughs> and I think you're only competing for those reservations with other uh, flex pass yeah, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there are so few of us at this point that that may at some point, and, and I don't know if we said, but I wrote it down, Angela, it's $5.99 for the flex passport. 
So it's, it's the cheapest Disneyland annual pass available for those who are not Southern California residents. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think it offers, like what Brian was saying, the most amount of available dates. Even if you were a California resident, I still would probably lean toward getting that pass. Because the cheapest California resident one, I think, is right around $400. So you're not paying that much more and you have a lot fewer blackout dates. And like Brian was saying, just to clear up any, you know, maybe pending confusion, you don't always need a reservation. There are days where you can just go into the park like it's a regular pass and you don't need a reservation at all. But then usually on the weekends, there are times when you do need a, a reservation like Jen has had to made has had to make, not made. So I just wanted to clear that up. Yep. So you went with the Flex Pass. Um, Even comparing it actually to the, the next level up with just the Deluxe Passport, which starts at, at $800, there are way more blackout dates. There are no, they don't do any reservation. You're either in or you're out. But pretty much from June 19th of, of 2020 through August 16th are all blacked out. Labor Day weekend mm-hmm. is blacked out. Three Saturdays in March are blacked out. Like it's a couple Saturdays in April. Like there's a lot more blackout dates for for something that is two hundred dollars more. You just yeah. have to make the reservation with the Flex. It seems like a pretty good reason to go with that one if you are okay taking what could be a slight gamble that maybe you won't get the reservation. I guess. Well, and if you're a planner, which I think anyone listening to this podcast clearly is a planner, right? That's Probably, kind of yeah. that that's usually our, our market. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't have the people planning last minute trips and not understanding what FastPass is. Typically, I'm sure listening to your podcast, and there's nothing wrong with that. You're here to learn, and that's awesome. Exactly. But if you're a planner, all you would do is just make it to where you're going when it's green, right? Mm-hmm. I guess for me, I was trying to figure out why would anybody not do that. But then I guess if you're limited to very specific dates that are blocked out, but for someone who doesn't live in Southern California, who's doing this more as a planned out trip, Mm -hmm. it seems to me to be like the ideal solution. But the premier pass, which, and I'm sure you were probably going to get into this because I am a Walt Disney World annual pass holder, right? I could have gone with the premier pass, which is now a whopping $2,099 plus tax. tax. Exactly. (laughs) So if I, if I did the premier pass, so because I'm a DVC member, I can get that DVC gold pass and that's only $699. Hear me only $699. That's a lot of stinking money, but it is what it is. So if I do the gold pass at $699 and the Disney Flex Pass at $599, I'm still well below $2,099. So it didn't really make any sense for me to do the Premier Passport. I've had a couple people ask, why would you not just do that? I'm like, why would I do that? It's going to cost me like a thousand more dollars to do that. Well, and how many trips are you realistically going to take to California? I know you're from there. But I mean, let's actually, let's talk about that. How many trips do you anticipate taking to both parks now that you have an annual pass at both? So my next trip to Disneyland is in two weeks. What? (laughs) So that was the whole conversation because um, I'm actually going the 14th through the 18th. And it's kind of a cool story because this is why you guys, when your kids grow up and they know how much you love Disney and then they start paying for things, it's so awesome. My oldest son had a Hotels.com gift card, and I had frequent flyer miles. He had frequent flyer miles. He was like, hey, we should do a quick trip to Disneyland now that you have an annual pass, and I'll use my Hotels.com gift card 
So he's basically paying for the hotel and my airfare was free and I have this annual pass. See, this is how they get you, right? This is when the Disney math ends up putting you in deep trouble because <laughs> mm-hmm. here I am. I just got back and I'm turning around and um, we'll be there August 14th through the 18th. So then <laughs> I'm going and then I'm back at Disney World in September and then I'm hope and then I'm, of course, I'm at Disney World in January, February and April. And I'm hoping to fit in one more Disneyland trip somewhere around the holidays because I have not been to Disneyland during the holidays and forever. And I just love it during that time of year. And the Haunted Mansion overlay, the Nightmare oh, yeah. Before Christmas is unbelievable. So, yeah. So that's that's the answer to that question. I would I would love to do that during the holidays. That's actually why I'm going to Florida in December is because I've always wanted to see Hogwarts at Christmas and Seuss Landing at Christmas. So yes, it's wonderful. I'm so glad you're getting to do that. I'm very, very excited. But I mean, I guess we've kind of been talking about the pros and cons all along. That was my next question. You know, the cons is that getting in is not guaranteed for the reservation dates, but it sounds like people have just not caught on because there are no reservation dates that have been filled up yet. Looking at the calendar. I think it was a really, really smart move on Disney's part because of the fact that it gives people that opportunity to be in the park when it's not just so crazy crowded, you know, because Disneyland is more of a locals park. And I'll be honest, and this is just from personal experience, I've noticed that hearing from people that have gone, the summers are less crowded at Disneyland. Okay, so when I was a kid going to Disneyland... Everybody gather around the fire. Let's talk about when I was a kid going to Disneyland. People always like to act like Disney didn't wasn't crowded before and now it is. That is not true. I remember in the 70s going to Disneyland and Tomorrowland being so crowded you could not move. I remember in the 80s being in um, New Orleans Square and literally you know how it is after a parade where you mm-hmm. you can't move like that just during the normal operating day, not after wow. a parade, not after anything. I have waited two hours in a line to ride Space Mountain, you know, before the introduction of Fast Pass. So whenever I see, especially people on social media, they'll post pictures of themselves as a kid. They're like, this is when Disneyland was completely empty. I'm like, when were you going? Because I typically went during the summer as a kid and it was jammed. And since they started blocking out days for annual pass holders, that has become less and less true. And again, this is only anecdotally. I am not a touring plans level statistician and I do not play one on TV. I do enjoy benefiting from that work, but just from an, you know, an experience standpoint, I think they've actually done a really good job of spreading those crowds out throughout the year. And I will tell you, it, everyone keeps saying it's dead at Disneyland right now. It's not dead. But it was nothing like the summers when I was a kid. I, I don't ever remember it being um, the crowds being that low when I was growing up. The summers and at, at, honestly, summers at both coasts have been yep. lower recently than they really ever have been. Now, Florida, it's kind of a combo of blackouts and people not being as afraid to take their kids out of school anymore. And with yeah. Florida, it's it's the heat, too. Well, I right. guess in California, that's some of it. You know, they certainly yeah. get their, their hot days. 
but you go in August to, to Florida, well, you know, in Georgia too. I mean, it's, you don't want to be outside for very long. No. So, so that's some of it. But also I think some of it too, like even looking at the, the annual passes for, or the annual passports for Disneyland, they're considered, like the, the ones with no blackout days are considerably more expensive than the Walt Disney World annual passes are, which I think, you know, some of that is keeping people away, people that maybe used to always just auto buy an annual pass at Disneyland because they live live semi-locally and would go a couple times a year, maybe now don't do that as much anymore because it's, it's just getting cost prohibitive. When we used to go, we lived in Fresno, California. Um, that's where our twins were actually born. And during that five years, we had a Disneyland annual pass back then. And it was $99. Wow. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. That's yeah. Great. So we, we had paid the day we bought them. We had paid, I think it was maybe $59 or $69 for our admission for the day. And our friends that we were with were like, you know, you can upgrade to a California resident pass for 99. I was like, why doesn't everyone do that? Well, the answer is everyone did do that. So yeah. it's one of those things that I think for a lot of people who have grown up going and it's just part of their life, that jump in those annual passes was a big deal. Although they do allow you to pay monthly. I know if you're a California resident, which is a nice perk, but it's, it's still just a lot of money. So I think people are thinking twice about just even maybe they've had annual passes for, you know, 20 years. Yeah. And this is the first year they're going, mm, maybe this year I can just skip Disneyland. Well, because for, for non, non-residents, the Disney Signature Plus Passport is the only one that has no blackout dates. Mm-hmm. And that is $1,400 compared to a Disney World Platinum Pass, which is the one that doesn't include the water parks, but everything else. And that is uh, $1,119. So, yep. I mean, considering that... that Disneyland is is smaller. There are fewer parks, and the tickets, you know, the the daily tickets are are generally cheaper if you're getting park hoppers. Almost two hundred dollars difference seems like a lot, uh, and mm-hmm. I think it's just because they know that people that are buying those with no blackout dates are the ones that are living nearby or somewhat nearby and are going to be there a lot no matter what, and they're going to right. take advantage of that. Right. Exactly. What are your thoughts, both of you, on, you know, this huge increase at Walt Disney World in with the annual passes? Do you think that people are going to renew or as many people who say they're not going to renew? Do you think that's true? No, I don't. They're going to renew. I'm sorry. <laughs> yep. They're just going to complain. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know that it's just that they want to complain, but it, the reality is it isn't like before the increases, this was such a great deal, and it was an option for everyone in the United States to be able to buy these annual passes. I mean, these were expenses, expensive passes before. Now they're just more expensive passes. So I always kind of feel like, and, and, you know, hear me, everybody makes their own financial decisions and it's all about what is the value for you. I, does it mean that maybe they're going to renew their annual pass and then maybe they'll stay at a moderate instead of a deluxe or, you know, whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. But I seriously doubt, especially those that have had an annual pass for a long time. I, I feel like they're talking a big game, but at the end of the day, they're going to go ahead and get another annual pass. This might come across a little callous, but Disney doesn't care if you renew or not. 
Um, whenever there is an increase, they try to tie it. And all companies do this with price increases. You try to tie it to something you can point to. Oh, we're increasing the price because look at all there is to offer. Now we're opening Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. We have all these other new rides under construction and, you know, all this stuff. But that's not why they actually do it. They do it because there are more people going and they can charge them more. And if, Increasing the price means that a few less people go, though that just makes everybody else happier because now mm-hmm. there are fewer people in the park, but they're still making the same amount of money. So, you know, that's why these decisions are made. It stinks. I'd rather not have to pay $1,200 for an annual now, pass. Like that's for sure. Yeah. Right? And I like paying yeah. as much as possible for things. I have three kids in college yeah. and I just like to throw money at everything. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, colleges, <laughs> colleges are so cheap. You have tons of extra money lying around. Exactly. Well, compared um, to Disney World annual passes. <laughs> but it does always always strike me as funny when you know when people are promising not to not to go again and I always think like and even if you do, I mean Disney's gonna say nice things and say how much they miss you, but the bottom line is they care about the bottom line and they don't really care if you go or not, as long as they're making the same amount of money. It is sad to say, but it's not quite as magical behind the scenes, I don't think, as people Assume, no, but maybe. you know, you know what I like to say, Angela. The the parks are just the context, right? Disney sets the stage, but you and your family bring the magic with you. Mm-hmm. So you decide if that's where your family wants to experience their magic. Your family may find that same magic skiing, or going to your lake house, or maybe you guys go and and run a, a cabin in the woods every summer. Whatever it is, it's like that is what the magic really is. And the context of it, I adore, and it's amazing. But sometimes I feel like the relationship between what is being offered and how you experience it starts to get a little skewed. And it's like what Brian was saying, the same people that will complain that the parks are always so crowded, and then they complain when there's a raise in prices in order to lower attendance somewhat to make the experience better. You kind of can't have your cake and eat it too. So what I'm not saying, everybody can complain about whatever they want. I mean, that is... That is our right as Americans. <laughs> yeah. And um, and if you decide that it's just gotten out of hand and it's too much and you'd rather go somewhere else, then then that is good. wonderful. I love going other places than Disney parks, honestly, Absolutely. even though I do love the Disney parks. So, And it, it does. It changes the math. I mean, if for family vacations and things like we've taken the kids to Europe before and honestly, it's cheaper in a lot of cases than going to Disney with them. So I absolutely implore people to, if you don't like the price, start pricing other options. There's a lot of great places to go out there. Yeah. There are. And, and I think too, I, I hear a lot of people who are thinking of buying Disney Vacation Club who will ask the question, does it make sense if you're going every other year? And heck yes, it can absolutely make sense if you're going every other year. And for that every other year family, which I think is is kind of far more typical, uh, not everybody is going every year like a lot of us do. These price increases to them, it's it's not really that big of a deal because you know two years from now when you go to buy your park hopper and it's gone up, you just sort of expect that. And yes, I think it's gone up a lot. Yes, I think people need to be smart with their money and. I haven't bought annual passes for my whole family this year. And by the way, I won't. Even with the DVC mm-hmm. Gold Pass, it does not make sense for everybody. Yeah. It only made sense for me because mm-hmm. I'm going for all these run Disney events and all of that. So, and for um, work. Just, yeah. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> it's all for work. My maniacal plan has proceeded exactly as I had envisioned. <laughs> but no, I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm the only one in my family who has an annual pass. There was a point where everyone in my family had one one year because I think we went three times that year. So it made okay. sense. But this time, you know, it was only one family vacation, so it didn't. So yeah, I'm, I'm always the only one that has an annual pass. We never go. We don't even go once a year anymore, honestly. So, Yeah, yep. I understand. But let that, that kind of brings me to my next question, my final question. And what event would you recommend, you know, a coast-to-coast annual pass to Disney Resort guests? If you are a serious fanatic about your Disney, which I very much am. And I was able, while I was at Disneyland, to do the Walk and Waltz Disneyland Footsteps Tour. And I actually stood in Walt and Lillian's apartment. And I looked out that window uh, with the little nightlight that stays on 24-7 as a tribute to Walt. I got in trouble with the docent because I kind of rushed towards the window. And she was like, let's all remember, we need to stay on this side of the chairs. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. Um, You know, I literally stood where he would sleep, which was like one of these super surreal experiences. And I think that was the moment when I was like, I really do love this park. And to a lot of people who maybe have not grown up with Disney like I have, that may not be a big thing to them, right? They may just look at it as a different version of what's in Walt Disney World. But being where Walt was, seeing the things that he directly oversaw, there is something magical about the intimacy of that park, not just in the size, but in how you kind of feel the thought process that went into everything on a completely different level than you do at Walt Disney World. And I adore Walt Disney World. But I had not been to Disneyland in, I think, six years, and I forgot about that. You know, you forget when you go to Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln and just the history that is there. And it's very difficult to explain. But if anyone is a, a true dyed-in-the-wool, not just a Disney Parks fan, but a Disney fan, right? Meaning you love the history of it, you love all of that. I think you have to go to Disneyland at least once, even if you are DVC members and all of that and you love Florida because there's just something about being where Walt actually walked. As far as having the annual pass, I think if you're going, it kind of is the same logic as what Brian was saying with the Walt Disney World annual pass. With the introduction of the Flex Passport, if you can put two trips in a 12-month period and the Flex Passport works for you, it's definitely worth it. Because, you know, I, I paid $385 for my four-day park hopper and it was 200 maybe it was 251 to make it an annual pass. So obviously that was a no brainer for me and it's pretty easy for me to justify another trip because again, it's for work, right, Angela? Right. Um, so, <laughs> and, um, yeah, my tax accountant has accused me of starting this YouTube channel just so that I can write off my, ba- my <laughs> various experiences, but you know, it's all legitimate. If anyone from the IRS is listening, I have documentation, but all that to say, especially to do it maybe just for one year, this is my 50th year. So I just turned 49. And I'm celebrating all year just like a Disney park because Jen's birthday should be celebrated all year. Don't you think, Angela? That's how I feel about my birthdays. Too. <laughs> yes. And big birthdays, 50ths, right? How long does Disney parks celebrate a big milestone birthday, Brian? Like 18 months, right? Oh, at least, yeah. So in Jen brain and using my own Disney math, 
it felt only fitting that during this 50th year, which to me started when I turned 49 and may go until I turned 51. <laughs> I completely support this. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Why, that sounds great. Why not? I mean, you know, my whole life, and this is, I'll end with this because I could talk about it forever. I always hated leaving Disneyland as a kid because we only ever went for one day at a time and I would cry my eyes out. I waited all year for that one day we would go and I would cry like a baby all the way back to our house, which was only like 20 minutes, but to my parents probably seemed like an eternity. And the fact that now at almost 50 years old, I can walk into either one of the parks pretty much whenever I feel like it, um, just makes me super happy. And I think at the end of the day, you should do it if you can afford it and it will make you super happy. And it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. I mean, is that not the epitome of a dream come true? Yes, it totally is. It's like, it just, I don't know. I've, I've smiled through most of this episode because I mean, you know, you have these dreams when you're a little kid and and you actually made it happen, Jen, and it's so exciting. I'm so happy for you. I called Scott bawling while eating a churro, standing in front of the Rivers of America, looking at the Mark Twain with Pirates of the Caribbean behind me with New Orleans Square, and I I literally bawled. That is how schmaltzy I am because I was like, I can't believe after all of my dreaming as a kid that we've actually – and, you know, Scott was so excited for me too because, I mean, at the end of the day – the airline pilot makes slightly more than the YouTube creator. So, <laughs> Oh, yep. Preaching to the choir. Totally get it. <laughs> he was so excited for me. And it was just, you know, everybody's got their dreams. And I think a lot of people's dreams are probably way bigger than that or whatever. But to make this one thing come true, um, for me, it, it was a big deal. And I have no regrets. Very happy that I did it. Again, I'm so happy for you too. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. It was it was truly great having you on and getting to hear you speak, Jen. Oh, you guys, it was such an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Can you uh, take the time to kind of plug, you know, your YouTube channels and your social media so people can go and follow you? So I'm basically Jen LaForge on everything, uh, J-E-N-L-E-F-F-O-R-G-E. Um, you can remember it like Jordy LaForge from Star Trek if you're a Star Trek fan, which we happen to be. That's but. all I've been thinking about the entire time, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so, Brian, you'll appreciate this. Our son is named William after Will Wheaton from Star Trek <laughs> The Next Generation. So we, we are serious Star Trek fans. How many L's? One? Just one or two? Yeah, uh, just one because Will Wheaton yep. only felt it with one. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. so you should have gone all the way and named like named him like William Wesley or something just for. Well, we we could have named one of our boys Jordy. That's uh, that well, would have been like that's amazing. A, that would have been a little too much. That would have made for a rough rougher childhood. I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, probably. Although, although I don't know that a lot of people know it, like it's starting to fade a little bit. But yeah. Anyway, so we love our last name. So I'm Jen LaForge on everything, Instagram, Twitter. You can find me on Pinterest. Of course, the big place to do it is on the YouTube channels. It's my main channel. It's just called Jen LaForge. That's where all the Disney content lives. And my secondary channel, if you want to be an organizational junkie like Angela, (laughs) is Joyful Living with Jen LaForge. And I would be happy to have everybody in both places. Make sure that you give Jen a follow. And as far as us, we are touring plans everywhere on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So you can head over to our channels there. And I hope that you all have a great day and we will see you on our next episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Touring Plans Podcast. More money-saving episodes on the way. In the meantime, plan your perfect trip at touringplans.com.